Amen. Hey, good morning, y'all. Um, let me pray for us real quick, and then we will jump into this message. Lord, we, we love you today. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for, for the rescue that you offer us every day of our life, Lord. And all of us have a rescue story. If we are a follower of yours, we have a rescue story. And we're rescued from different places, Lord, and we acknowledge that. But at the end of the day, you redeem, you reconcile, you repair, you rescue. Lord, you just fix things that are broken. And all of us are broken in different degrees, in different ways. And so, Lord, we are so thankful, so thankful that that is what you do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, y'all. So we are... Uh, we're in a in a in our walk through uh, through Luke's second book, the book of Acts, and the series that we're in in, in Acts chapter two is called Birth, and it's that's because we're seeing the the birth of the age of the church. We're seeing the birth of the the Christian age in Acts chapter two. Uh, you know, we, two weeks ago we started looking at Peter's sermon at Pentecost, and and it's, it starts in Acts chapter two and verse fourteen, and. And we, we checked out those first 10 or 11 verses from verse 14 through verse 24 in Acts 2. We had to split up Peter's sermon into two messages because of the length of it. And, and we broke it up a little bit in content. But we had to, to do it justice, we had to break it up into, into two messages. And last week we celebrated Independence Day, and so that kind of broke that. But we're going to continue that today. We're going to be in verses 25 through 36, which, which kind of finishes... Uh, Peter's sermon, but I want to read the whole, last week I, or two weeks ago, I read you the whole message, which is verses 14 through 36, and I want to read the whole message in its entirety again, and then we'll jump into, uh, we'll jump into, we'll dive into where we're going to be today, but it starts in Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, the Bible says, then Kepha, who's which is Peter, stood up with the eleven and raised his voice, he raised his voice to address them. And who was he addressing? Three or four thousand, thousands of people that were there. And they, if you remember, this is on the, uh, on the heels six or seven weeks uh, after that first Easter weekend. And so all these people are there. And if you remember, again, they had been uh, hearing in their own language. The, the guys, Jesus' guys, were speaking in languages that were foreign to them. And so uh, that's what was going on when Peter breaks into this message. And so he says, he raises his voice, he addresses them, you Judeans, and all of you staying here in Yerushalayim, which is Jerusalem. Let me tell you what this means. Well, what he's addressing, what this means is they were questioning what all of this noise, what all of this, these sounds that nobody understood, but it was all these foreign languages, and they, they, they didn't know what it meant. And so they questioned him leading up to his message, and he says, let me tell you what this means. Listen carefully to me, Peter says. He said, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, 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 no. This is what was spoken about through the prophet Yoel, Joel. I deny the Lord says, in the last days I will pour out from my spirit upon everyone. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my slaves, both men and women, will I pour out from my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will perform miracles in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and thick smoke. He says, the sun will become dark and the moon blood before the great and fearful day of Adonai, the Lord comes. 
And then whoever calls on the name of Adonai, the Lord, will be saved. Will be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, listen to this. Yahshua, Jesus, from Nazareth, which is Nazareth. He was a man demonstrated to you to have been from God by the powerful works, miracles, and signs that God performed through him in your presence. And you yourselves know this. This man was arrested in accordance with God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge. And what Peter's saying there, it didn't sneak up on God that Jesus was arrested and crucified. And he says, and through the agency of persons not bound by the Torah, not bound by the law, that's the Romans he's talking about. And through the agency of persons not bound by the law, you nailed him, and he's pointing to all of them standing there. You nailed him up on a stake and killed him. But God raised him up and freed him from the suffering of death. It was impossible that death could keep its hold on him. For David says this about him, and this is where we're going to be today. For David says about him, this is from Psalm 16. I saw Adonai, the Lord, always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. For this reason, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, and now my body too will live on in the certain hope that you will not abandon me to Sheol, which is Hades, or let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will fill me with joy by your presence. Brothers, it's Peter talking now, brothers, I know I can say to you frankly that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, since he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn an oath to him that one of his descendants would sit on his throne, he was speaking in advance about the resurrection of the Messiah, that it was he who was not abandoned in Sheol and whose flesh did not see decay. God raised up this Yahshua, this Jesus, and we are all witnesses of it. Moreover, he's been exalted to the right hand of God, has received from the Father what he promised, namely the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and has poured out this gift, which you are both seeing and hearing. For David didn't ascend into heaven, but he, David says, and this is from Psalm 110, Adonai the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And he concludes all of it with verse 36. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know beyond doubt that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Yahshua, this Jesus, whom you executed on a stake. Y'all, so there it is. The whole thing again, and I said this last week or two weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. This sermon here, Peter's words at Pentecost, a million percent gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the exaltation, the ascension of our Lord. And where we are today in verses 25 through 36, in particular, it's all about the resurrection and the ascension. Let me say this kind of quick. This message, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, it's, it's so foundational. It's so basic. Christ crucified and resurrected. Jesus' resurrection is the cornerstone of Christianity. It is mentioned in the New Testament about 105 times. And it is without question the most profound, the most prominent. If you had history on a timeline, it is the most profound, the most prominent event in, in the history of the world, in redemptive history, in biblical history, in, in just in, in all of our history. 
The resurrection is the, is the foundation of it all. It's almost like in, this, in, in these verses, it is almost like an Easter message. There's a focus on, I believe, on four things, on four kind of proofs of the resurrection. I want to give you those four. If you don't have a worship guide, raise your hand because we want to get you one. But there's some fill in the blanks in there. The number one, we see the testimony of David. Starts in verse 25. We see David's testimony. I'm going to read you those couple of verses first. Again. For David says about him, I saw Adonai always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. For this reason, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. And now my body too will live on in the certain hope that you will not abandon me to Sheol or let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will, you will uh, fill me with joy by your presence. And so Peter is continuing his witness to Jesus's Messiahship. He's continuing his testimony that Jesus is the Messiah. And he does it quoting David from Psalm 16. Eight, verses 8, 9, 10, 11 in Psalm 16. He introduces David's words by saying like, like, like this is all about him. Saying what I'm about to tell you, David wrote it and it is all about Jesus. It's not about David, it's about Jesus. And he wrote it, by the way, Peter's saying, he wrote it a thousand years ago. And so this quote from Psalm 16 and another one from Psalm 110, which we'll get to in a few minutes, both these, both these psalms are prophesying about the resurrection. Jesus experiences the Father's constant presence, the Father's constant power. Verse 25 says, Adonai, the Lord is always before me, always before me. Jesus always looked. He always kept his face on his Father. He was constantly, just read the Gospels, constantly getting alone with his father. He's constantly in communion with his father, continuously in his presence. He thought on his father. He focused his mind on his father, and his attention was always, always, always on his father. The father was always beside him. God was always right there as a defender and as an advocate and as a, as a protector and a provider. God was providing and looking after the son strengthening him, guiding him, upholding him, seeing that that he that he was never going to be moved and that he was never going to be shaken. They were in constant togetherness, constant communion with each other. And it is this image, y'all, of a defender in a court or a soldier on a battlefield uh, that is standing at the person's right hand, protecting and looking after and providing for his welfare. So being in, in, so in tune with the Father's presence, it's not a shocker that, it was, that, that his heart was glad and that, that his tongue rejoiced, verse 26 says. So I want you to think about that, that principle. If I keep my eyes fixed on him, if I stay close to him, if I'm on my knees and I'm constantly in prayer, if I live a life of, of ceaselessly praying and I'm constantly communicating and I'm talking about I'm driving down the road, listening to some worship music, praying by myself. I'm laying in the bed. We're going to sleep and I'm praying and I'm talking to the Father and, and I'm constantly in communion with Him. If I try to get 
all of the noise out of my life. How many of you got noise in your life? You're so busy that you got all this stuff going on all the time, and you, you got to try to get it out. And you're probably not going to be able to get it all out, but you got to do the best you can to get all of that peripheral noise out and, and focus on your relationship with him and try to wrap your arms around what being in his presence really means. For me, personally, when I know that I know that I know that he's with me, and I get academically, I get he's always with me. I Like, I get that. But life ebbs and flows, and there are times when I just know, like I can just feel it. And I don't base my life off feelings, but I can just feel it. I can feel his... When, she was, when they were singing that song, The Blessing, I knew that I knew that I knew. Can y'all agree with that? I mean, I just, oh my gosh, it was so thick. So when I know that I know that he's with me, I can't help but be glad. I can't help but rejoice. I have joy, joy that is permanent, joy that's not bound by whatever's going on in my life in that, in that moment. Joy that is the result of his presence in my life which is really a result of his presence inside of me. We just saw that, uh, at, you know, if we're going chronologically, we just saw that two weeks ago. We saw it, it, it before Peter's sermon kicks off. The Holy Spirit falls on them, rests on them. And so if I can stay focused on him, if you can stay focused on him and live a life of prayer without ceasing, it just makes such a difference. Y'all heard a story about a king who pardoned two criminals, two criminals that were headed for, for, the, for the hangman. They were on their way to the gallows for their crimes, but he issues a pardon to both of these criminals. Both of them are free to go. But the reactions of the two guys, they were polar opposite kind of reactions. The first criminal who had been pardoned was just exploding in joy and gladness and laughter and he's shouting and he's screaming and he could not take his eyes off of the king. He couldn't take his eyes off the king that had pardoned him. He couldn't take his eyes off the king who had freed him. He was in bondage and he was heading for death and he couldn't take his eyes off the king who freed him. And he was just like, like, like you have no idea. He was like the joy, like the joy to know that I was on my way to death and I was given life. And I was given life not because of anything that I had done, not because of anything that I, that I could do, but only because of the mercy of the king. He's headed for death, but the mercy of the king pardoned him and saved his life. And he said, I have real joy. Now, the other dude, the other criminal, he's just standing there shaking, and he's thinking, there's no way this is true. It's got to be a joke. Nobody would ever do anything like that for me. I never, no, nobody's ever done anything nice for me. Look at, just look at what I've done. He was terrified, criminal number two. And rather than having the joy of criminal number one, he was miserable. In fact, he tried to discourage the joy of criminal number one by telling him, don't be getting too excited because none of it's probably real. None of it's probably real. I, I, I will convince you uh, that it's just not real, that you're, that you're deceived, that you're mistaken. And so because criminal number one believed the pardon, he believed it. He believed it. Not that he did anything to deserve it, but he believed it. He had both the assurance and the joy of his release, both the assurance and the joy of his freedom. But the second dude questioned the pardon, and he didn't have the joy and he didn't have the assurance 
of his release. One criminal looked with unbelief at a piece of paper that held his pardon. It said that he was pardoned, and he looked at that piece of paper in unbelief. The other criminal looked upon the person and the face of the king, and he believed. He was focused on the king, and he believed. He was in bondage, but he looked on the face of the king, and he never took his eyes off the king, and he got his arms around the freedom that he had. Y'all, keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep yourselves in his presence, and you'll see the timeless joy and the hope that results from keeping your eyes fixed on him. And the Bible here says that that hope, that joy and that hope, the hope is in the resurrection. Peter's audience, all of these people in that day, remember there's three, four, five thousand people there. They all understood in verse 27, they all understood the word decay, that that meant the grave. And so the emphasis is that Jesus' body had not been left to decay, but had been in fact resurrected. Peter wanted these people that are listening to realize that in the Psalms, Psalm 16, Psalm 110, that David was predicting the resurrection of the Messiah. He was predicting the resurrection of the Messiah. So, so number one is the number one kind of proof here is that David's prophecy was all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. We see the testimony of David. And then number two is this. We see the testimony of, of Peter. Starts in verse 29. He says, brothers, I know I can say to you frankly that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, since he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn an oath to him that one of his descendants would sit on his throne, he was speaking in advance about the resurrection of the Messiah, that it was he who was not abandoned in Sheol and whose flesh did not see decay. Y'all, the Old Testament makes a really solid case for the resurrection of the Messiah. And it was super important for all of these people who were all Jewish, super important that they would understand that. So Peter argues here that, that the words of this psalm could not possibly have been referring to David because David is dead and he's buried and he's rotten in the grave and it's, it's like he's pointing over there. He's right over there on the south side of Jerusalem, right near the pool of Siloam. He's right there, y'all, go look, dig it up. He's rotten in that grave. So he could not possibly have been talking about David. So Peter is straight up in Psalm, six, uh, Psalm 16, he's, he's straight up talking uh, about the resurrection. He's talking about the resurrection. And so as he's preaching this, this, what is really the first Christian message, all of the events, Jesus arrest, Jesus beating, Jesus scourging, them hammering a crown of thorns on his heads. The crucifixion, stabbed in the side with a spear, nails through his wrist and ankles, and the resurrection. Y'all, that's, that's all still hot news. It is. It just had happened several weeks ago. And it didn't happen in a closet somewhere. It didn't happen hidden in the woods somewhere. It was a very, very public execution carried out with tons of witnesses. It's like he's saying the empty tomb is right over there. You want to go look at David's tomb? It ain't empty. You want to go look at this other tomb? It is empty. And it only been six or seven weeks. 
And so that's what, that's Peter's words. You know, if Jesus hadn't actually died, Peter's message would have just been a joke. If he'd not been resurrected, somebody somewhere would have produced a body, would they not, and put an end to all of the nonsense. So he died and he walked out of that grave alive. And they had all witnessed it. Thousands of them had witnessed it. Changed men. And so they announced the news with great passion, with great conviction. And y'all, our faith, me and you today, 2,000 years later, it rests on the truth of the empty tomb. The tomb really is empty. He really did walk out of the grave alive as a historical fact. It's not just something to make you feel better. It, it happened in history. And so if David wasn't talking about in Psalm 16, if he wasn't talking about himself, then David is speaking as a prophet, the Bible says. And he was writing about the one who would be resurrected from the dead. The oath that he mentions in verse 30. That oath looks back, y'all write it down, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Starting in verse 15. That's when God promises David, and this is about a thousand years earlier. He promises David that one of his descendants would always sit on the throne. And yet David had some children. Solomon was a king. But this promise was that someone would sit for eternity on the throne. Someone would be a king for eternity. And y'all, that king is Jesus Christ. That king is Jesus Christ. David, in writing this psalm, was looking ahead a thousand years earlier, looking ahead to the and writing about the resurrection of the Christ and the Jewish listeners of that day. Y'all, when I grew up, if, when I read those Psalms, I knew that those Psalms were writing about the resurrection of the Messiah. I knew those Psalms were written about the Messiah. They weren't written about David. David wasn't writing about himself. He was writing about the Messiah. I just didn't believe it was Jesus. Praise God, I do today. And those people in that day, they knew that David was writing about the Messiah. They knew those words were prophetic. So we see in these couple of three verses, the testimony of Peter. And then in verse 32, we see the testimony of the eyewitnesses, the testimony of, of his disciples. Verse 32, God raised up this Yahshua, this Jesus, and we are all witnesses of it. So Peter, he starts off this whole thing by tying some Old Testament references to this man, Jesus of Nazareth. So he, he starts off, he ties this Old Testament stuff that is that's pointing to the Messiah. He ties that to Jesus of Nazareth. And so here again in this verse, Peter makes it clear that David's prophecy is speaking of Jesus. The Old Testament points to Jesus. God raises up Jesus. And Peter's saying, and I saw it, and you saw it, and you saw it, and you saw it. He says, we're all witnesses of it. Again, like y'all, it had only been six or seven weeks. It had only been six or seven weeks. What had happened six or seven weeks ago? The dead dude walks out of a grave alive. Those appearances on the other side of the resurrection. Staff meetings with his guys. Instructional sessions during the weeks prior to Jesus' ascension. They must have caused a stir in the city and a stir among the people. Because again, it wasn't done in a vacuum. 
Those things didn't happen in a vacuum. And so Peter points out that, that he and many of those very people that are there at Pentecost, not all of them because a lot of them came from other places, but many of them that are there, they had been witnesses to the predicted resurrection of the Christ. This is all about Jesus and him resurrected. So you got this proof of the, of the very, the testimony of the eyewitnesses. And last, we see the exaltation and the ascension of Jesus into heaven, starting in verse 33. Peter says, moreover, he has been exalted to the right hand of God, has received from the Father what he promised, namely the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and has poured out this gift, which you are both seeing and hearing. For David didn't ascend into heaven, but he says, but David says, this is from Psalm 110, Adonai the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know beyond doubt. And you can almost picture Peter screaming this because this is the, the, the culmination of the message. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know beyond doubt that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Yahshua, whom you executed on a stake. So Peter has one more kind of major point to make. He says, this crucified one, Jesus, this resurrected one, Jesus, is now this exalted one, Jesus, who occupies the throne of the highest honor in heaven, seated at the right hand of his father. So y'all, not only is he the predicted one in the Psalms, not only did he walk out of that grave alive six or seven weeks earlier, he now sits in the most authoritative, the most sovereign position in the universe, seated at the right hand of the father. Now, see, y'all, that's why he's got the authority to pour out the Holy Spirit, to pour out his Holy Spirit with results that that audience could now see and hear. Them people ain't drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're able to speak in languages that they had never spoken in before. And the people that are there can hear in language, in their own language. Who, Peter's speaking, they're hearing it in their own language. Well, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father with the authority to pour out his Holy Spirit. It had just happened again six or seven weeks ago. So Peter goes back to, one of the, to another psalm in verse 35, Psalm 110, verse 1 of Psalm 110. And again, David's not speaking of David. David is speaking of the Christ. And that verse, Psalm 110, verse 1, is the most frequently quoted Old Testament passage in all of the New Testament. Thirteen times the New Testament quotes Psalm 110.1. It was the primary, or it is, the primary text that is used to explain the exaltation of Christ. The Jews again believed that that Psalm was referring to the coming Messiah. Whether they missed him or not, they believed that that psalm was written about the coming Messiah. God promises there to make 
to make Jesus' enemies a footstool. They'd be under his feet. And y'all, that paints a picture of a victorious Christ. Victorious over all of his enemies, human enemies, spiritual enemies. Wrapped up in that quote from Psalm 110 is Peter warning the people that are there listening. You don't want to be numbered among the enemies. I'm telling y'all today, you don't want to be numbered among the enemies of the Lord because he will make you a footstool. And so Peter, that's wrapped up in that psalm, in David's words. This Messiah is now high and lifted up and seated at the right hand of the Father. And, and I don't want this to be heresy, but I almost see like he's chilling with his dad. Because what had happened? What did he say on the cross? He said, it's finished. It's fin well, what's finished? The reason he came is finished. The work is finished. The redemptive work. The death on the cross that provides a gateway. The death on the cross that provides um, forgiveness for all of your sin. The death on the cross that provided redemption and reconciliation to a holy father when we are unholy. When we are rotten to the core, the death on the cross took care of that. And so he is now seated, mission accomplished, right? Sin defeated, grave conquered. I'm a chill with my dad. And my enemies, I'm just going to put my foot on them because I've done what I came to do. That's what happened on the cross. When he says it is finished, that's what it means when he said it is finished and gave up his last breath. And so Peter, who over these last six or seven weeks, Peter, who denied the Lord three times, Peter, who whipped the sword out and cut the dude's ear off, Peter, who just reacts all over the place, you see Peter now in, in Acts 2, you see him becoming the witness for Jesus that Jesus knew all along that he would become. So he concludes his message with, with a solid review of his main point in verse 36. So let it clearly be known. Are we clear, crystal clear? Let it clearly be known by everybody in Israel that this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, he is the Messiah. The Psalms were pointing to the Messiah. Well, this guy is the one that the Psalms are pointing to. In the prophesied plan of God, in the foreknowledge of God, this Jesus of Nazareth, been crucified by the hands of the Romans with his very own people bearing responsibility, he's the one that was raised from the dead and he's the one that was exalted to the throne of God. From the beginning of this message, this sermon, throughout his message, Peter consistently applied the messianic prophecies. He consistently applied the messianic psalms. And when I use that word messianic, it's, it's the prophecies that point towards the Messiah. It's David's psalms that point towards the Messiah. So Peter consistently applied those and the miraculous resurrection to Jesus of Nazareth. And these final words in verse 36, they did the exact same thing. With the proclamation of, of Jesus as Lord and Messiah, Peter reaches this pinnacle, y'all, this mountaintop of this message that births his church. 
Let me wrap up Peter's sermon, his sermon at Pentecost with this. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus resurrected. The great issue, the big issue in the proclamation of Jesus Christ, in the declaration of this Jesus, y'all, that I love so much, this Jesus that we sing and worship, we sing these beautiful worship songs too every Sunday. The issue is he's alive. He's alive. That's what sets him apart from every other religious leader that has ever existed. They're dead and they're buried and they're rotten. Muhammad, dead, buried, rotten. Buddha, dead. Pick one. I don't care who, who it is. They're dead. Our king is alive. That's the difference. There is such a difference. He is alive and he is sitting and he's hanging out with the father. And so he came out of the grave alive. He goes in the grave dead and he comes out of the grave alive. And the crucifixion, his death on the cross loses its meaning without him walking out of the grave alive. Does that make sense, y'all? It loses its meaning if he doesn't walk out of the grave alive. God's word portrays the resurrection as the crowning proof. The, the word of God says that the resurrection is the crowning proof, not only of Jesus' deity, that is his godness. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. Can I explain that fully to you? No, I can't, but I know it's true. And so the resurrection is the crowning proof, not just of his deity, but it's also the guarantee of our resurrection. Does that make sense? You will be resurrected. You're heading one place or the other, but you will be resurrected. And if you remove the resurrection, then Jesus' death becomes one of three things. It becomes the, the heroic death of a martyr. And you may say, that's what I believe today. I believe that, that Jesus just a, 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 that's what I believe. He's just another in a long line of prophets and he died a martyr's death. That's one option. Or it is the pitiful death of a crazy man. You may believe that today. Of course, the evidence doesn't show us that he was a crazy man. But it's either the heroic death of a martyr, it's the pitiful death of a crazy man, or it's the execution of a fraud. It can't be anything else without the resurrection. Without the resurrection. And so we conclude this, that it's not primarily his teaching, although his teaching is second to none, obviously, he wrote the book. So, but it's not primarily his teaching. It's not primarily his miracles. But the miracles were like, oh my goodness, the miracles. But it's not primarily the miracles. It's not primarily his healing. I guess if I was the lame dude, I would say, well, I think it is primarily his healing. But, but it's not primarily his teaching. It's not primarily his miracles. It's not primarily his healing. It's not even, y'all, it's not even primarily his dying that is the key. Although all of those things wrap up into who he is, it's not primarily any of those things. It is primarily his rising, y'all. It's, it's his walking out of the grave alive that is the key. 
And it either happened or it didn't happen. And your unbelief doesn't change history. If you don't believe that in his resurrection, it doesn't change the fact that he was resurrected. Dude, that's a huge principle. And you may have friends and you may, and you may be sitting here saying, I don't buy any of that. But your unbelief doesn't change history. And your friends or your parents or your daughter or your son, their unbelief doesn't change history either. Without the resurrection, Christianity collapses. If it, if, it, if it hadn't been for the resurrection, there would be no salvation. If it hadn't been for the resurrection, there would be no church. When he took his last breath on that cross, y'all, it is finished. He breathed his last. His guys, what did they do? They scattered like chafe in the wind. They scattered when he died because he was dead. But they regathered when he conquered death. They regathered when he walked out of the grave alive. They're like, oh, he was telling the truth when he said that he was going to walk out of the grave alive. And the church was born. The church was born. And this became the, the foundation. It became the bedrock of, of all of their preaching of all of the apostolic preaching, all the preaching in the first century, it was not theology. It was the dead guy walked out of a grave alive. It, it was not Calvinism and Arminianism and ism this and ism that. It was the resurrection. Our king was dead and now he's alive. That's what they preached. It was, the, it, it, it was and is the lifeblood of Christianity is the resurrection. It's the resurrection when the Jews... In Acts chapter 26, and we'll get to all of this as we work through Acts, but in Acts chapter 26, when they caught Paul in the temple and they tried to kill him, the Bible says that he received help from God and he preached Jesus resurrected. In Acts chapter 17, Paul's preaching to the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill. What's he preaching? The resurrection. When the disciples and the apostles are filled with the Spirit of God some days after Pentecost in Acts chapter 4, in verse 33, the Bible says with great power... With great power, the apostles continued testifying to the what? To the resurrection of the Christ. And here, the resurrection is the key to Peter's sermon. He spends one verse on the life of Christ, one verse on the death of Christ, and the whole rest of the message is about the resurrection. About the resurrection. And notice it's God that is doing the declaring. He is Messiah, he is Lord, he is King. It's God who, who did the works in his life in verse 22. It's God who determined the counsel that brought upon his death in verse 23. It's God who raises him up in verse 24. It's God who exalts him in verse 33. It's God who declares him to be Messiah, to be Lord in verse 36. Y'all, I want to call the worship team back up too. The real power of the resurrection, y'all hear this. The real power of the resurrection was on display. And not only 2,000 years ago, but is for sure on display today, shining in the lives of the people who are following Jesus. Those who refuse to give in to the, to the power of darkness and are walking in the light of the resurrection, are walking in the newness of, uh, of life. They prove, me and you, y'all, we prove it every day. 
We prove it every day that God in the flesh was victorious over the grave. When people see your life change, when people see that, that you are victorious over a sinful past, when they see you buried in the likeness of his death and really, really walking in the newness of life, when they see you rise up and walk in the newness of life, the power of the resurrection is on display in your life. And it's not just words that come out of your mouth. They look at you and they say, what is different about you? Well, I'm walking in the newness of life. I was dead. I was criminal number two. I became criminal number one because I gazed upon the very face of God. When they see the old man in you die and a new man start living, it proves that, that Jesus got up and walked out of the grave. Because y'all know if you can get up and walk out of the grave of sin, if you can rise up out of that and walk in the newness of life, if you can change, and I don't mean perfection, and I don't mean sinlessness, I don't. But if you can get up and walk out of the grave of sin, if you can change, there had to be a resurrection because what you, your life becomes this living testimony of the power of the cross and the power of walking out of the grave alive. Well, that begs this question, y'all. I mean, it totally does. You gotta answer the question for yourself if you never have, who is this Jesus guy? Like, who is he? Is he rotten in a grave in Israel? Is he a bag of bones in a grave in Israel somewhere? Or is he in fact seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven? Have you accepted him today as Lord and Messiah? That's what Peter called him, Lord and Messiah. Have you accepted the forgiveness for all of your sins. That death on that cross did not solve the problem for just some of your sins, just the little ones. No, no. Have you accepted the forgiveness that is offered for all of your sins? Criminal number two, if you remember, he said, nobody could do that for me. You don't know what I've done. Well, no, he does know what you've done. He knows exactly what you've done. Probably knows better than you know what you've done. And he forgives all of the sin. So have you accepted that? Have you allowed that death on that cross and the conquering of that grave to take your sin and put it as far as the east is from the west? Have you done that? Have you done that? If you haven't done that, y'all, it is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm gonna say it like I do most every Sunday. Don't go to bed tonight and let your head hit the pillow. Don't, don't let it happen without considering that offer. Don't go to bed tonight and go to sleep without considering if you have never that offer of forgiveness. Listen, we had a good we had a friend of ours die yesterday. Death, death is real. Praise God, he was a Christ follower. Was not things happen. People die. We're going to all die a physical death. And so when, that, when, when a friend or a family member does, y'all, it makes you think about stuff. It makes you think about stuff. So I'm telling you, don't go to bed. If you have never bent the knee, if you have never accepted that offer, don't go to bed tonight without at least considering it. And I would say today, as we sit here right now, if you're listening 
online somewhere or if you're sitting here today, those words of Peter, those words of David, the words in red in the gospels, y'all they're real and they're true. The resurrection is real and it is true. And if it is true, then you can be saved. Don't care what you've done. You repent of the sin, just turn away from it and turn towards the Lord. And you confess with, the, with your mouth that he is Lord and Savior and you believe in your heart, he walked out of the grave alive. Lord, save me and he will save you. That promise is there. So if you've never done that and you wanna do that, I encourage you to do it right now. So if y'all would close your eyes, bow your heads with me. Pray this prayer along with me if you never have. And if you need prayer or if you want prayer, our prayer team is gonna be in the back after, uh, after our worship. And if you feel compelled to come down here to the cross for whatever, to accept forgiveness for the first time or just to pray, please be encouraged to do that. But it is this. Lord, today is the day that I repent of my sin. Today is the day where I accept the forgiveness that you offer. Lord, today is the day where I do, I do call you my Lord and my Messiah. Today's the first time in my life that I can say, I believe, I believe, I believe all of it. Lord, save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, y'all, I wanna give you a quick introduction. We're gonna about to sing a song. I'm not gonna sing, you don't want me to sing. Our worship team is gonna lead us in a song. The name of the song is Psalm 16. These are the words of scripture. If you notice today, the, the song right before the message, the words of scripture, the blessing from Numbers. This is Psalm 16. It's the psalm that Peter's quoting in, in his sermon at Pentecost. And just don't forget, that sermon at Pentecost launched the church. It launched the vehicle that the Lord chose in his sovereignty to tell the world about him. You're gonna see that as we walk through the book of Acts over the next several months. But if y'all would stand up and let's worship to, to Psalm 16.